And let's read this incredible passage. And let me talk to you about a living hope. A living hope. It says, Praised, honored, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his boundless mercy, we have been, what everybody? Born again. Now look what happened when we got born again. To an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now notice the connection. Born again, released ever-living hope. And where did that come from? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to tell you today, He's risen. And because He's risen, there is hope. Father, we thank You for the hope that springs eternal from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that not one person leaves this sanctuary today without that living hope beating in their heart. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, He is our hope. And you can be seated. God bless you. Now I want you to notice, and this is what really jumped out at me this week. Peter doesn't just say that we've been born again to hope. But he called it living hope, hope that is alive. And that's what really began to talk to me. Now, what is hope? Well, here's what the dictionary tells us hope is. It's an emotional belief in the possibility of positive outcomes in the circumstances within one's personal life. When you have hope, you believe that there is a possibility for positive outcomes in your own personal life, and that's hope. Now, when I read that verse this week, it made me think that not only is there living hope, but you can st stick a lot of adjectives in front of the word hope. A lot of things pass for hope today that turn out to be faulty hope. So let me just name a few of them for you. Some of the adjectives that we can put in front of hope today. First, there is false hope. There is false hope. False hope refers to a hope based entirely around a fantasy or an extremely unlikely outcome. False hope is when you put something, you're hoping something that really cannot come through for you, though you believe that it will, but it's a real stretch. And you put your hope in something that just really can't pull through for you. I read recently this week about a man who put great hope in an invention, it was a pill. And this pill was supposed to be dropped down into a gas tank, and it was supposed to increase the MPG in your car. Just a little pill. And of course, he sank a lot of money into it. And needless to say, it didn't work because a pill does not increase the miles per gallon in a car. It didn't work, listen, because it couldn't work. And so it proved to be false hope. And the Bible says that False hope makes the heart sick. You put your hope in something that does not come through for you. And it drops you. And it disappoints you. And the Bible also talks about crushed hope. Job, the Old Testament man of suffering, cried out. He described crushed hope perfectly. He said, my life's about over. All my plans are smashed. All my hopes are snuffed out. My hope 
that night would turn into day. You ever had that hope that night would turn into day, that somehow this nightmare or this problem would fade away and give way to day? He goes on and says, my hope was that dawn was about to break. But at this particular time in the book of Job, it had not happened. And so he was experiencing crushed hope. The Bible says hope deferred or hope that does not come through makes the heart sick. It's a letdown. It takes the wind out of your sail. And then the Bible also talks about lost hope. At a point of national despair, the Old Testament people of Israel cried out these words, quote, Our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. And there's nothing left for us. You ever feel that way? Nothing left. Your hope is lost. You used to have hope, but it's faded. And now you feel like there's nothing left. What am I going to do? And I'm certain today there are many here whose hopes have been crushed and whose dreams are unfulfilled. Maybe just a few years ago, you had great, great, glorious dreams of what you would like to be, what you would like to do. You were really excited. Hope was really strong. But now today, they've all faded away. And maybe your hopes have even been crushed and have collapsed around you. What you thought was going to happen hadn't happened. This happens to Christians. This happens to non-Christians. We are people. And sometimes our hope is let down. And what do you do when that hope is let down? You meant to do well. Your motives were right. Your future looked bright, but life has taken an axe to the root of your dreams and your hope seems all but lost right now. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? What now? Hope is so crucial to life. It is so important to living. You've got to have hope. We can live weeks without food. We can survive days without water, minutes without oxygen. But I'm going to tell you, you can't live a moment without hope. Because as soon as you give up hope, you give up your reason for living. As soon as you give up hope, something inside your soul begins to die. Don't take long at all. The skips out of your step, the smiles out of your face, the gleams out of your eye. Hope is lost. Hope is what gives you a reason to get up in the morning. To believe there's a reason for being here. When you've got hope, there is a reason for existing, a reason for going through a day. Hope is the feeling you have that the feeling you have won't last. Think about that. You'll get it about Tuesday. Hope is the feeling you have that the feeling you're having is not going to last. Because hope says it's going to change. Martin Luther said... Everything that is done in the world is done by hope. Everything. We birthed this church in hope. You got married in hope. You had children in hope. You got your job in hope. You get up every day and hope is a part of what you get up with. You got to have hope to live. Thomas Fuller wrote, If it were not for hopes, the heart would break. Why? Because without hope, you have no hope that things are going to change. When we lose hope, we lose 
the meaning for life and living. You don't even want to live anymore. There's no reason to live without hope. That's why psychologist Dr. Carl Menninger said that hope is the major weapon against the suicidal impulse. When someone decides to end their life, I'll guarantee you what preceded that is they gave up hope. There's no more hope, no more reason. There's no more reason for me to go on. And I'm going to tell you that's always a lie because God is always there. And even if you're in the deepest, darkest depression, my God can give you hope. You never need to end your life. Now, I got to think about hope this week a lot. I was thinking about hope a lot. If you stop and think about it, the way we use hope in the world, in the everyday, workaday world, we usually use the word hope with a level of uncertainty. Let me give you an example. We may say something like this. I hope the Cowboys win in the playoffs. That's a big hope. Because my employer will send me to the Super Bowl should they go. So, oh, I hope the Cowboys go to the Super Bowl. In other words, here's the deal. We desire for the Cowboys to win so that we can take an exciting trip. We hope it happens, but every time we use the word hope in this world, there is a level of uncertainty. We hope they win, but we're not sure if they will. Or we might say something like this. I hope that a strong economy comes back again. I hope America rebounds. I really hope so. In other words, the arrival of a strong economy is the object of our hope, but it's spoken with cross fingers. I hope, but I'm not sure. I hope, but we don't know. What we do is we put hope in our hope. See, we believe there's power in hoping for something, but it's never a certainty. We believe if I just say, man, I hope that happens. Oh, oh, hold on to hope. I hope that happens because we believe in just saying that, hoping it, may help it. But here's how it's spoken. Maybe so, maybe not. Maybe so, maybe not attitude. We say, I hope, but we're not sure. I'm hoping for the best, we say. When the odds are stacked against us, we say, keep hope alive. But implicit in that statement, listen carefully, is this message. This could go either way. I hope it doesn't, but it could go either way. So I'm just holding out hope. But maybe so, and here's my message today, maybe so, maybe not, cross your fingers and hope for the best is not the kind of hope described in the Bible. The Bible does not talk about maybe so, maybe not, hope so, perhaps so, maybe so, if so. Biblical hope is not just a desire for something good in the future. It's not a hope so, maybe so, perhaps so kind of hope, but rather biblical hope is a confident expectation that something good is in my future. I'm not hoping, I'm not thinking, well, fingers crossed. No, when I stake my hope, when it's Bible hope, here's why it is set in concrete, can be stood on, walked on, slept on, lived on, lived by. Bible hope comes from the promises in the Bible and from the God who made the promises in the Bible. 
biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it is confident, it is confident, it is confident that it will happen. That's Bible hope. I have a confident expectation for good in regards to the future. There is a guarantee attached to the hope found in Scripture because it's rooted in the promises of God and the God of the promises, and you can walk on that, and you can live on that. The Bible has so much to say about hope, real hope, vital hope. And let me tell you something, church. The days we're living in, with our nation being rocked and rolled, with the world in such turbulence, the Middle East, a powder keg waiting to blow up. We need to understand what real hope is. My hope is not in a human being. My hope is not in an economy. My hope is not in a nation. My hope is not in a political party. My hope is in the God of the Bible and the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, the, the Bible is so full of incredible statements about hope. Listen to this. Paul wrote that the hope the Bible talks about, quote, does not disappoint or leave us feeling ashamed because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. The hope, when you put your hope in the Bible, when you put your hope in the promises of God, it'll never leave you feeling like a fool. It'll never leave you feeling ashamed. You will never have deferred hope or disappointed hope because God stands behind His Word. The Bible says that God can cause us to literally overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. And Paul the Apostle said, we rejoice, we have joy, we have happiness in our confident hope. And the Bible says that God Himself, the God we worship today, who sent His Son to die on the cross and took our sins on Himself and rose from the dead, the first fruits of many who will rise from the dead later, that God is the source of real hope. Now, let's get down to what all this hope talk has to do with Easter. The passage we first read gives us the key, a key, to finding a rock-solid, undying, unbeatable, surefire source of the kind of hope that won't be snuffed out, it won't leave you disappointed, it won't be lost when life deals its difficult trials. It's called living hope. Man, that talked to me this week living hope. Well, what in the world is living hope? Listen to it again. By His boundless mercy, we have been born again to an ever-living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The source of this kind of dynamite hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, let me tell you what living hope means to me today. It means, first of all, the presence of Jesus is with us in a daily way. Now, follow my logic. If it's a hope that's alive, it's living hope, so if it's a hope that's alive, then it must be there with me in my everyday, same old, same old, work-a-day world, or it's not a hope that is living. Call it a living hope. If it's a living hope, then it's alive. It's a, if it's alive, it's with me every day, not just Sundays, not just Wednesday nights. It's with me every day, every moment, 
I'm alive. Living hope is with me. It's, it's a, uh, you know, some people, they have a sometimes hope. Or just a 911, I lean on God only in emergencies kind of hope. Or an occasional when I'm an emotionally inspired kind of hope. You're going to leave today emotionally inspired. You say, well, that was a good service. I want to know what happens to you on Monday. What happens to you on Tuesday? What happens to you on Wednesday? What happens on Thursday when the car has a flat tire and you run out of gas and the kids go crazy and, and your spouse says they're walking out? What happens then? Is your living hope around then? Bible hope is more than these things. It's called living hope, and that means it's there all the time. Now, let me give you an example. It happened to me this week. Last Friday was Good Friday. But Good Friday last Friday was not a Good Friday for me. How many of you ever had a bad Friday on Good Friday? <clears throat> it wasn't a Good Friday for me. The night before Good Friday, I developed a major cold. That's always bad news for me because they usually last for days. And first thing that went through my, my mind was, uh-oh, I'm not going to have a voice on Sunday morning. Well, I'm doing just fine, let me say. But I was worried about, oh, I've got a cold now. It came up on me. Wicked sore throat. I couldn't breathe and it kept me up most of the night. The thought of Easter Sunday and two services instead of one sat on the front burner of my mind and I thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And on Good Friday, I called the doctor. Can I just tell you, I love doctors, but I hate going to the doctor's office. I called the doctor, and they said, yeah, you need to come on in. And so I had to go in and get a shot to get rid of the whole mess. That meant I was going to have to go into the doctor's waiting room with a bunch of other snorters and sniffers and wheezers and sneezers. And I got to tell you, I come from a germ-phobic family on my dad's side. When I go into a doctor's office, I feel like wearing a hazmat suit. And I breathe deep before I walk in, and I try to breathe very little. I keep something over my face. I plead the blood. I put on the full armor of God, and I rebuke the enemy off of me and all the bacteria and all the germs, and I pray that God will help them get to me quickly. And they never do. They never do. You know why they don't? Because they don't have to. So I sat there and kept something over my face, letting everybody think that I was real sick, but I was really warding off the germs. Got my shot on Good Friday. This was Good Friday. And I walked out, got into my car, turned on the radio, and what did I hear? Sunday morning, thunderstorms, hail. The only thing they didn't say was snow. When? From 7.30 to 11. It's going to be bad. It may have hail. I'm listening to all this, and I know you're hearing the same thing. And I said, oh, Lord Jesus, do you still like me? That's the biggest day of the year. But let me tell you what happened. I'm driving home through the predictable rush hour traffic, and I'm thinking about all these things, and I'm sorting, and I'm sniffing, and all of a sudden, the peace of God just flooded that car. And I thought, he is risen. He is risen. Now, let me tell you what that means. Let's pretend that you won the lottery and you won a hundred million dollars. And that hundred million dollars went into your bank account. And you go home and you get it in the mail and you open the mail 
And there's bill after bill, water bill, house bill, mortgage bill, electric bill, all kinds of bills. And you begin to feel stressed and you begin to feel worried. And then all of a sudden you remember, I have a hundred million dollars in the bank. You know what that means? This doesn't matter. Now watch this. When the stresses of life hit you, you know what makes it a living hope? No matter what's coming your way, no matter what has come against you, how the enemy has unleashed himself against you, you can stop it all in the middle of the stresses of life and just say three words. Say it with me. He is alive and nothing else matters. That's why the song says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living. Just because he lives. You say, well, you've just got a crutch, a religious crutch. Well, guess what? I'm not having to smoke it, snort it, shoot it, or drink it. Say with me, he is alive. I don't know how people make it without Jesus anymore these days. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how you do it without God in your life. No wonder they're smoking it, snorting it, shooting it, drinking it, to numb the reality. But there is a better answer. And his name is Jesus, and he is risen from the dead. And we're here today to celebrate the risen Savior. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And when you say he is risen. It just gives you a victory in life. That's a living hope. Now the second thing a living hope means is that we've got a living hope in the hour of death. Let me tell you, I don't know if you know it or not, but every one of you is going to die someday. And so am I. We don't even like to hear that, do we? See, when I said that, it went, don't be a bummer on me today now. I don't want to hear about dying. Well, let me tell you, We're all going to die. But as you know, that a living hope means we've got hope in the hour of death. Listen to what the Bible says. Quote, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue us by his death. It goes on. By embracing death, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who through the haunting fear of death were held in bondage throughout the whole course of their lives, scared to death of death. I'm not a psychologist, but I'm going to tell you, I thought a lot about it, and I think this. I think most of the fears that torment people have their root in the fear of death. Mankind's greatest fear is that, of the, that ultimate leap into the unknown called death. We think things like this. What's going to happen to me when I die? Is there anything beyond death? Will I know or be aware of anything or do I just return to the dust from whence I have come? What happens when you die? Woody Allen once quipped, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Now, let's be honest about something. If Jesus Christ is unable to meet our need for help, In the hour of death, this whole service and everything we stand for is a fraud. 
Because Jesus said, I will rise after three days in the grave. I will rise from the dead. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus not only said he would rise from the dead, but Jesus said, I'm coming back to get you. Jesus does comfort us in the hour of death, and that is living hope. This week I I called a guy that I ran into at Starbucks a number of months ago, about five months ago. Hadn't seen him in a long time, and he began to share with me that he'd been through some real tragedies. He said, I've lost my marriage, and I've been through a ferocious battle with drug addiction. He is a restaurateur owns a very successful restaurant, but been through real struggles. And I said, man, I'm going to be praying for you. Come see us at church sometime. Well, this week I called him, and I invited him to church. I don't know if he's here in this service or not, but uh, he said he would come. And he said, when I called him last Thursday, he said, Jeff, something happened to me since last time I saw you. I said, what happened? He said, you know, I live alone now, divorced, and I've been in this battle with drugs and have had the victory, but it was a rough one. But I woke up early one morning with this terrible pain in my chest. And he said, here I was alone. And at first I thought that it was an anxiety attack. But the more I sat there, the worse it got until I knew I was having a heart attack. And so I called 911 and in the dark, alone, in my house, alone, waited for the ambulance. And it got so bad, Jeff, so excruciating that I really thought this was my home call. I thought this was it. This is when I'm going to die. He said, and all of a sudden, peace flooded my soul. And he said, Jeff, I was ready to go home. I was ready to meet God. There wasn't any fear in me. And so I sat there, and the more I sat there, even though the pain got worse, the peace grew stronger. By the time the ambulance got there, I could have gone or I could have stayed. That's what I call living hope. Living hope. Living hope means at the very hour of death, He is there. As a matter of fact, you know that three things are promised to people who die, who know Jesus Christ, and I want you to hear them today. He said, first of all, you're not going to be alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you, when you approach death's door... Jesus Christ is there to take your hand and walk you over to the other side. He said, you will not be alone when you die. The second promise is no fear of death. That man said, I had no fear. My fear went away. 365 times in the Bible, we are told to not be afraid. And every time, the reason for not being afraid is given as this one, for I am with you. He walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. You fear no evil, for he is with you. His rod and staff, they comfort you. When D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the 19th century, was dying, his last words in his wife's presence were, Earth is receding. Heaven is approaching. This is my crowning day. He had told his audiences, One day you're going to pick up a paper and you're going to read that D.L. Moody has died. 
He told his audience, don't you believe it? Because even though I may have died physically, I will be with the Savior. To be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. That is a living hope. And then the third promise about dying is the promise of a far greater life on the other side. The Bible says, quote, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. You see, folks, we may want to live, and I want to live till I'm 100. As long as I can talk and walk, I'm going to preach. But you know what? On the other side, there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more cancer, no more heartbreak, no more depression, no more extra strength, etc. No more need for glasses, no more need for wheelchairs, no more need for crutches, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more letdowns, no more crushed hope. It is glory on the other side. And the Bible says, our God will wipe away every tear. Can you say with me, that's a living hope. And finally, living hope to me means, and probably this is my favorite one of the three, it means you can start over. It means you can start over. I want you to remember you heard this here. When you leave and you go through your week that's coming, remember these words. The resurrection of Jesus is the answer to our broken dreams, collapsed hopes, tragic failures, and our inability to live up to our expectations. The resurrection of Jesus says, I got up from the dead I can stand you up on your feet when you have taken a big misstep, when you have failed, when you have faltered, when your hope has been crushed. I'll stand you on your feet, breathe fresh life into your soul, give you a new reason to go on. Hope will stay alive because I am the resurrection and the life. I came to preach today. You know, I was thinking, Simon Peter could give testimony to this more than anybody else. Simon Peter, one of Jesus' top three guys. Jesus looked at him and said, Simon Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed to you what you just said when he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was thrilled. His star pupil, Simon Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Simon, but my Father who is in heaven. Simon Peter was walking on air. Then Jesus said, but Simon, I know you, and here's what you're going to do. Simon, you're going to deny me three times. He said, not me. I'll never let you down. Though everybody away, I'm your guy, and I will never leave you. Jesus said, Simon, I know you inside out. I know what you got and what you don't have. I know what you can do and what you can't do. I know your weaknesses and I know your strengths. There's not one thing that arises in you, Peter, that I don't already anticipate. And he said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. He didn't believe him. He thought he was rock solid. Well, Jesus got betrayed. 
with a kiss. They carried Jesus off to court, took him in front of the Sanhedrin. You know what the Bible says about Peter? He followed from a distance. Anytime you follow Jesus from a distance, you're in trouble. He followed him, the Bible says, from a distance. They took Jesus through kangaroo court, accused him of things he had no part in. Simon Peter sat there by a little fire in the outer court, and all that was there was a little damsel girl. And she looks at Simon Peter, the crusty old fisherman, beard, weather-beaten face, been with Jesus three and a half years, said, you are one of his disciples. He couldn't believe what came out of his mouth. I don't know him. Okay. She goes and thinks, come back, says, oh, no. I know I saw you with him. He couldn't believe it again. I don't know the man. He can't believe. He's like he's watching someone else talk. She comes back a third time. I am convinced you are one of them. And you know what he did? He stood up and he began to call curses down. He began to curse in a foul tongue. And he cursed saying, I never even knew him. Right then. And right then, Jesus was carried by. Looked at him. I call that the look that killed. You ever felt that look? The look says, what are you doing? And the Bible says that he went out and he wept bitterly. He failed so badly. And I know what he was thinking. He's a normal man. I know what he was thinking. He was thinking, I'm the called. I've been called. He spoke over my life. And look what I've done. I've ruined my calling. I've ruined my destiny. I've ruined his purpose for me. It was so bad. He said to his friends, I'm going back fishing. Let me translate that for you. I'm going back to the bars. I'm going back to the drugs. I'm going back to the old friends. I'm going back to the old ways. I blew it so bad. He did not understand what the resurrection meant. And you know what Jesus did when he was resurrected from the dead? First thing he did, he went and found Simon Peter. Called him out of the, off the sea. And I know what Simon was thinking, oh man, I'm about to get the tongue lashing of my life and then he's probably going to send me to hell. Jesus said, Simon, do you love me? Now remember, he denied him three times. Do you love me, Simon? Oh, Lord, you know, I, I like you as a friend. He didn't brag anymore. He didn't use the word agape. He used the word phileo, which means I like you as a friend, but I'm not on bragging grounds anymore. Jesus said, do you agape me the second time? Second time he said, I, I, I phileo you. I, I, I like you as a friend, Lord, but I'm not on bragging grounds anymore. I blew it. Jesus said the third time, do you even phileo me? He said, Lord, you know everything. He said three times, feed my sheep. Three denials, three reaffirmations. And the man who thought he was down and out was raised by a living hope. Come on, everybody. Living hope. And so 
The resurrection means that we have a living hope. We can start over. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what the mistakes you've made. My Lord, my Savior, my God, my Christ can stand you on your feet again. It is not over. There is a new chance. Can you stand up with me today? Now notice that the Bible says, how do you get this living hope? You get this living hope. It says, being born again unto a living hope. Now I want to clarify something as we get ready to pray. Say, Pastor, what does it mean to be, everybody's born again. Good grief. Chuck Colson's born again. Even came out Larry Flint was born again. And politics are always talking about people being born again. What does it mean? Here's what born again means. It means you do this. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again from the dead. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. And when you pray that, the Spirit of God comes to live in your heart. And with the Spirit of God comes this living hope that you can't knock down and you can't snuff out and you can't take away. Living hope. I want to ask you a pointed question today. Are you certain you've been born again? Are you certain you've asked the Lord Jesus into your heart? Because the living hope doesn't come from Muhammad. It doesn't come from Buddha. It doesn't come from Confucius. Only Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead to give you that living hope. Are your hopes crushed today? Are they disappointed today? Do you need that living hope? Bow with me for just a moment, would you? You can say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord, but lately I've been just like Simon Peter. I've been following from a distance. And being at a distance, I've made some real mistakes. And I need to get close again. Or you say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I'm not certain that I've ever had this miracle of being born again. And I want to settle the issue today. I want to settle it today. What a great day to do it on Easter of 09 to leave this building having made peace with God. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories, and I'll let you pray with me today. Would you raise your hand right where you are? Just put it high. God bless you and you and you, many. I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. I want you to forget about the people around you. This is between you and God. I want you to slip out from where you are, and I want you to come right down here to the front. Because there's about to be a divine exchange. No hope for living hope. Lost to found. I want you to slip out and come now. Don't be concerned about what anybody thinks. If you raise your hand, come right now. We're going to wait just while he plays on the piano lightly. I want you to slip out and come.